Hey guys, I'm Courtney Haddon, and welcome to the first installment of Diary of a Mad Widow. Um, first, I want to give you a little bit of background so you can understand what this is about. Um, these this series is basically to help women, men, you know, people who have lost loved ones. In a manner that causes them stress, PTSD. A uh, little backstory on it though. Uh, June 4th of 2020, um, my husband had a heart attack and was taken to the hospital. Um, I watched his heart attack happen. It took two and a half hours to go into full swing. We argued about me calling 911. And, uh, when he finally, I say finally, that came out wrong. When he collapsed, it was two and a half hours later after the heart attack had started. And I ended up calling 911. I was doing CPR the best I can, and, uh, forgive me for saying it, but the idiots on the other line were telling me that you don't give them oxygen anymore, you don't breathe into their mouth anymore, and that's stupid, but I'm sitting there trying to do CPR on my husband, get him to wake up, watching his torso go from being purple to slowly starting to have color again, um, and going through that torturous, torturous scene, once they got there, the EMTs sat there, giving him CPR, not blowing in his mouth, not giving him any oxygen, not doing anything, and I had to yell and scream at them to do something. They stayed there for a good 10-15 minutes before they finally decided to get him on the gurney on the stretcher into the ambulance. Working on him for another 5 minutes in the parking lot. And still not driving off to take him to the hospital like they should. Once they got him to the hospital. You know, at 3.05pm they finally tell me they got his heart beating again. They cleared his arteries and everything got to where everything was you know, pumping again, and he was breathing again. Granted, not necessarily on his own, but he was still breathing. He was, lungs were moving on their own, but not enough. I went through all that torture, you know. And his heart attack started at 11.45 in the morning, okay. By, you know, 12.45... You know, that's when they finally took him to the hospital. You know, it took, you know, maybe it was 10.45, not 11.45, but it, it took two hours for him to collapse. And we argued the entire time through his pain not to call 911. He told me he had a DNR, but nothing was posted around the house. They had no record of it at the hospital. So legally, I mean... Though I was trying to do what my husband wanted me to do, 
legally I had to call 911. No matter what, I had to call 911. And it was torture. It was it was it was heck going through all that, seeing what I saw. So I'm hoping um, by talking about the mental anguish and the pain I went through and the PTSD I went through and what all I have done so far to get me as far as I am now, it'll help others. Um, next week, because I'm at a point where I can't help myself anymore, I am starting counseling. I'm going to the center, I'm going to start counseling and talking to them. And while I'm going through this, I will be back on here talking to you guys saying, okay, well, this is the advice they gave me. I'll let you know if it works or not, you know. And we can go through this together. You know, maybe it'll help you people who can't afford the gas or don't have a vehicle but somehow have a way to get on their phone to check things. This will help them out, I hope. Um, I've come a long way from where I started. Um, in fact, um, to tell you how severe it got, I ended up with a massive debilitating migraine that paralyzed me because I was overwhelmed with all of these emotions and was did not know how to process them did not know how to handle them because they hit me all at once and I do not have real memory of what happened I don't have any real memory it was all like a dream you know, I saw a floating head, I saw, like it was all a dream. It, it was like it was a dream. I could not explain not being able to feel my own legs, not being able to feel my arms, not physically feeling anything, but seeing all this fuzzy, cloudy stuff going on around me. It was explained to me later that those fuzzy images were real. But because of how massive the migraine was, I couldn't see it, I couldn't process it, and I couldn't deal with it. So, they told me that it was a stress-induced migraine that was exasperated by lack of sleep because I couldn't sleep, I couldn't fathom my emotions and my body was trying whichever way it could to get me to calm down and it didn't work so that's where I'm at you know I really hope these diary of a mad widow segments help people out um I will go into more details well not too much detail, because, you know, it's mostly a private thing, but emotional details and things like that to help people like me who had a hard time getting help. You know, people who can't afford to go to a counselor or even get to one. So, 
anyway, um, this is Courtney Haddon with Diary of a Mad Widow. I am signing off for now, but I will be back in another segment for this episode. Um, good love, good luck, and try to keep your head up as hard as it may be. This is me signing off. Hey, uh, welcome to Season 1, Episode 1, Segment 2 of Diary of a Mad Widow. I told you the backstory about um, some of the stuff that happened with the heart attack for my husband back in June of 2020. Um, now is where I start to give you more information of about what actually happened. I'm, again, not going into too many details, but enough details that you know where I'm coming from. Um, this segment, I will do a general description of what happened so that more people will be aware of what the signs and symptoms actually look like because they tell you, you know, do they have a fever? Do they have a headache? Are they sweating, uh, chest pain, diarrhea, vomiting, you know, they tell you all of this, but they don't exactly give you much of an idea of what that really looks like, and though my instincts told me that's what was going on, I still wasn't sure. So, what I saw, okay, and, you know, he is... His was a slow come, you know, came on slow, okay? For your, at least three years off and on, you would have these micro chest pains, okay? Which is a sign that right there, when you start having a slight bit of a chest pain, you should go get checked out. Especially if it's in the center of your chest. And it, you think, you know, after having water and taking heartburn tabs and things like that, and anxiety meds, whatever you do to breathe, you're still having chest pains. That right there, do not play with that. Especially when it gets more and more frequent to get checked out. Um, but he had for a while. You know, at first it was, you know, once a month, you know, he'd have a little, you know, chest pain. He'd cough and cough and cough to try to, you know, make it quit, you know. Like, he knew something was going on. Well, then, like, toward the end of the first year, you know, it started happening more like once or twice a month. More like twice a month, it would, you'd get these chest pains that would last about an hour or so. And then it stopped. In the beginning of the second year, it was more like once a week. You know, three, four months of once a week. And then there would be, you know, where he'd have a hard time keeping from choking on stuff. He would end up 
choking on something he was drinking so bad that he'd end up throwing it up. It got to the point where he wasn't able to keep from coughing. It affected Um, Another sign to look for is eye color getting lighter. Um, That is a sign that there's something going on with the brain. Uh, I've been looking this stuff up on Google and medical places and all that because I wanted to know. You know, but they're the last, I guess, six months, I think. It was from Christmas of 2019 to the end of April. Um, right in there, the chest pains got a little more frequent, but he had a chronic cough. The entire time he and I were together, he always had a chronic cough, okay? And thinking back, toward the end of April, before of his heart attack, he stopped coughing. He stopped coughing as much. He got less and less. And that was one thing that, oddly enough... I found endearing about him was his cough. It was so unique. It was deep. It was it was strong, you know. And one day in May, early May, I was making a pot of coffee. And I was thinking to myself, you know, when he has his heart attack, because you have Freudian slips. You will have Freudian slips. Look it up by just saying something out loud without thinking about it, and that will tell you what's going on. Your subconscious knows something you don't, and when you have those Freudian slips, that will tell you what is about to happen, what's going on. Well, in my Freudian slip, I was making a pot of coffee, the first pot of coffee in the morning, which... My husband literally survived on coffee. He hardly ever drank anything else. He'd have two, three pots of coffee a day. Okay? But while I was making it, I was thinking to myself, I'm going to miss his cough. I'm going to miss that cough. I said, you know what? And in my thinking, I was like, you know what? Tell you the truth, I miss it now. And it dawned on me that he had not coughed in a while. Like, almost a month. And I walked up to him and I said, you know what? Something ain't right. And he's like, what's, why? What's up? You haven't coughed in a while. You've quit coughing. You have never not had a cough in the morning. He's like, well, it probably just means I'm getting better. That's not what it means. The littlest changes like that will tell you something is wrong. Something is going on. Pay attention to your Freudian slips. Pay attention to your thoughts. Stuff that just pops up. Okay? Because it even got stronger. Um, At that point, 
he was looking for a car because mine was broke down and needed work that we didn't have the tools to do. And it would take, he thought, would take too long to get it running so that I would have a vehicle to drive right now. Like, he knew he had to get something going right now. For the longest time, he just, he always said, I just haven't had the time. I haven't had the time. And after Christmas, he started saying, I don't have the time. I just don't have the time. Pay attention to the wording of your loved ones. They will tell you, whether they know it or not, they will tell you what's going on. And then, you know, he finally found a Jeep, he found a car, and he knew, knew about my, my uh, extrasensory perception, you know. He knew that I could feel if something was okay, if something was not right with a vehicle. I could sit in a car and see if I got a good feeling, a bad feeling, whatever, and tell you, no, don't get that vehicle. Something isn't right with it. It will cause you pain. And he took me with him to get this Jeep he had been looking at. I have been trying to get and told me to sit in it. And I, he wanted to know, you know, how is it, what are you feeling, what you're thinking? And I told him what I was feeling, what I was thinking, and he looks at me and he says, you think it'll get you around for a little while? I didn't quite catch that, but he said, you get, you know, you think it'll get you around for a while. I said, well, this is going to be your car. You're going to be the one driving and I don't care. I don't like it, but it's a good car. It'll get you around. It's going to have some minor issues that'll be fairly easy to fix, but, you know, it'll be a good car. And he said, okay, that's all I needed to know. So, I got out of the car. We got into the truck we, we had borrowed from his dad. And I followed him home. He took it to work. Come back. Uh, as he was pulling into the driveway, the ball joint fell off of it and broke. And the car just to the ground, you know. Um, so, he goes, oh crap. At the time, my motorcycle was the only one that was legal, running, and okay to drive. So, he's like, he hurries up, he gets his car, he gets his ID, he runs down, drives like a bat out of heck on a bike to go get the parts needed, and comes back, and usually he's got a, had a really bad temper when he was working on cars, throwing stuff around, just trying to get something done fast and in a hurry and all that. This time he didn't. He went out there. He worked on the car. He got it fixed. I was able to help him without his temper going nuts. And it was kind of nice. And I even, I was thinking, you know, I could get used to this. It's nice being able to be out here to help you and you not lose your temper. And he said, I just don't have time for that. I don't have the time for that. We got to get done. We got it done now. 
And every time he said that, it started, it bothered me more and more. And, you know, he got it all fixed. The next day, okay, and this, this too was never typical of him. The next day, he went and he got the car put in his name. He's never done that before. He's always waited, you know, six, eight months, six months before he put anything in his name. And got insurance and everything. He, it took a while because we couldn't afford it otherwise. <laughs> but right away, he got insurance. Uh, that's another Freudian slip type situation you ought to pay attention to. When it comes to your loved ones and their health. So, I will stop the segment there and I'll pick it up here in a little bit. Um, I've been trying real hard not to go too far on my segments. And I'm already, you know, nearly three minutes over. So, um, anyway, y'all have a good day. I will be back shortly with the rest of this story and the rest of the segment. And I'm, again, sorry for going over it too much. But I'll be back shortly, y'all. Signing off for now. Bye. Hello, guys. It's Courtney again. Um, this, I guess, would be Season 1, Episode 1, Segment 3 of Diary of a Mad Woman. Um, my last speaking... I was talking about, you know, what led up to the heart attack and the different signs you can look for and different things you can go by as far as having warning signs that a loved one's subconscious is letting you know that they're about to go, that something is about to happen to them. Um... When I last talked to you, I was talking about how my husband's actions changed. How used to, you know, he didn't really care about getting his vehicles in his name. He didn't really care much about uh, fixing anything right away, getting anything done right away. He just, you know, was kind of had that, uh-huh, whatever kind of, you know, attitude about anything like that. But all of a sudden, you know, few within a few months before he passed, his attitude toward everything did a complete 180. Um, like I said, he went from saying, you know, I just don't have the, you know, haven't been able to find the time to I don't have the time. Saying things like, you know, that and calming his attitude calming down when he worked on the car you know just trying to fix things around the house more to get things ready so that when he passed we would be okay for a while doing those little things changing his wording in the slightest little bit and how when he went to get the car that I currently have right now it was do you think this will get you guys around for a little while? Instead of, what do you think of my new car? Like you used to say, you know. Those little tidbits, you know, and how he started giving me stuff of his. 
that he really, that I, I said I really liked, you know, and then the last two weeks of May, before his heart attack, he started telling me, you know, I don't have, I have a DNR, I want to be cremated, I don't want you guys, you know, to try to bring me back or do something stupid like that. Uh, this is what I want you to do with the bike, this is, you know, what I've been thinking, you know, this is trash that I don't care about, this I don't care about, you guys do what you need to do with this and that and the other, and basically telling me, you know, it's okay if you move on, it's okay if you find someone else, I don't want you to be alone, I don't want you to be lonely, I know you can't handle being by yourself. He was telling me, you know, that, you know, don't worry about spending too much money on the house. It's falling apart. Just you need to worry about getting out of here. Sell what you got to sell. Get rid of what you need to get rid of to survive. You know, telling me all these things about how he, I had my family to help. That I would be okay. Our daughter would be okay. You know. Those kind of conversations, when they start talking like that, you know to get prepared. I knew, you know, around Christmas, I had gotten this gut-wrenching feeling. I had just, you know, lost a new acquaintance, was hoping she'd be a friend, um, a close friend. And after that, I was like, okay... But after Christmas, around Christmas time, I got a gut-wrenching bad feeling. It wasn't, you know, too horrid yet, but it was bad. It hit me Christmas, one of the Christmas events with his family. Um, we went to his dad's. And I was, we were sitting there getting ready to take a picture. And all of a sudden, my stomach, I took a look at his dad, and my stomach did a flip. And I couldn't do, any, do anything but cry. Tears were pouring out. I didn't make a sound because I was still trying to fake a smile during the picture. But I knew something horrible was going to happen. And I was thinking it was his dad. I was wrong, but I was feeling bad for him. I was feeling bad for Bobby. I was mortified, and I was crying for both of them, but for the wrong reasons. Right reasons, wrong person, you know? And I couldn't get rid of that feeling to save my life. Well, I was like, well, not but, you know... A month later, on January 28th of 2020, I lost a college friend of mine to cancer. Um, the previous friend that I had lost before him also was cancer. And his services were February 15th. Well, not even a week after that, I lost a childhood friend to a heart attack 
and he was only 41 years old, 42 years old, and that nearly killed me, but the feeling still hadn't gone away, in fact, it got even stronger than that, and then it hit me, the reason why I was feeling that way for Christmas was because it was going to be Bobby, not his dad. And I realized my Freudian slip that I have been saying for so long now, about nine months, of, baby girl, I need you to help me around the house because for some reason your dad is not going to be able to help us. He's not going to be able to help us much longer. I was saying that to her for nine months before his heart attack. And I realized, in May, I realized that's exactly what it meant. And when he started talking to me about all these plans and all these things he thought about doing and wanting to get done, he was basically putting it on me to do his unfinished business. And I knew that's what it was, but I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to accept it. I was in denial. And then that Friday, they had a Girl Scout meeting. And he went there. He made a necklace for me. I had a glass bottle on it that was empty. And he handed it to me. He said, you know, I wanted to make this. I even made the necklace where you wouldn't have to undo the clasp. You could just pull it off and put it back on. Because I know how hard that is for you. And he said, you know, you can put the colored sand and stuff in it. And I looked at him without skipping a beat, without it pausing, anything. And said, no, I'm, I'm going to put your ashes in it. I'm going to cremate you. And he kind of was taken back by it. Smiled a little and said, okay, or you can do that. And it went from there. The freeing slips got even stronger, you know. So, whatever you do, pay attention to those slips. They will tell you when something is about to happen and what's going on. So, he, the car is fixed. He got everything taken care of. Everything was legal. The, uh, after the heart attack, it was a week after his heart attack while he was still in the hospital and still alive. The title to the Jeep came in in his name. He and I both, after getting the first installment of the relief tax money for COVID-19, um, we had spent a little bit of that money and ordered some stuff online. He had gotten a I had gotten him a brain, gotten him a gun. He had built it himself to make it legal. Um, and he had gotten a stand for Christmas for it. So he ordered a scope and he ordered a taser gun for me to use because he had joked about everybody bringing a taser to his services and whoever was left standing would get his bike. And I said, no, that ain't going to happen. Uh, the bike is Alyssa's. It's, it's, yeah. 
So, but he still got the taser and a scope for his new gun. And while he was in the hospital, that first week it came in. And I told him about it and there's long stories to other stuff that happened in there, but there was, you know, motorcycle revving and gunfire and stuff. Tributes on Facebook forum and I played those for him. And um All the time talking to the doctors in the hospital, and they're like, he's not doing anything on his own. He's not, you know, opening his eyes. He's not, you know, trying to move on his own. He's not, you know, trying to react. Or there's a lot of things he wasn't doing that should have been doing, showing brain function. So, yeah, there's a lot of torture behind that. So that's where I'm at. You know, I'm. I'm Going to the hospital every day, trying to spend time with him while he's still here, even though he doesn't talk to me, he doesn't move, he reacts to my touch, he's extremely ticklish, so every time I, you know, to go to his foot, he jerked it back, you know, he was reacting, at least, when I touched him, you know. And that's where I'm gonna stop, because this is where things go downhill, um, as far as why the PTSD gets worse and things like that. So, anyway, they, uh, that's the end of this segment. Um, y'all try to keep your chin up, try to stay positive. I know how hard it is. Um, I will come back with one more segment to this episode to, um, explain what I did while I was there in the hospital. That way you have a little more in-depth of an understanding of what I had done. So, anyway guys, keep bitching up. Try to smile when you can. And I will talk to you guys later. Me signing off. Hey guys, it's Courtney. I'm back with Diary of Mad Woman. Mad Widow, sorry. <laughs> the woman part comes later. I am sorry for not having background music in my segments, guys. Um, this part, anyway, I is too important to me to get across to you guys. For me to try to keep you from being totally bored by putting music in. <laughs> I genuinely apologize. Um, this will be the last segment for this episode. Um, just gonna wrap it up with a recap. Basically, pay attention to the words that come out of your loved one's mouth. Pay attention to their normal day-to-day actions and reactions and how much they change. Uh, as well as paying attention to your own Freudian slips. That's the important part that I want to make sure everybody pays attention to, okay? I've given you the story about, you know, what happened up to his heart attack. I told you about, you know, the CPR fiasco and him getting there. You know, the fact that when he got out of 
well, okay, I haven't told you the part about when he got out of surgery. He was hooked up to a bunch of machines. He had IVs coming out of just about every limb. And, uh, he had a feeding tube down his throat. He, you know, had... He had a breathing machine attached to him, you know. And for at least eight days, you know, the first first weekend or so, I let his mom, his dad, his sister, I let everybody in there to see him. Because at the time, because of COVID-19, we were only allowed one person in the room, one person to visit him at a time. So... I'm going to stop there. Um, this one was kind of short. I'm just kind of wrapping this episode up. And just please listen to what I had to say about paying attention to all of that. And I will get into next episode. I will get into the hospital stuff itself. So anyway, uh, I think I'm going to start using it. Love, hugs, smiles, pay it forward. And please keep your chin up, and things will get a little easier. You'll never get over it, but it does get easier to deal with. So, anyway, uh, this is me signing off on this episode. Um, I will talk to y'all later. Bye.